whether you want to or not. So we need to, to hear some more from John about love. Uh, looking just a couple of verses from last week's text, from the first, first John 4. Verses 9 and 10. I'm just going to read those and then tell you a little story. 1 John 4, 9 and 10. God doesn't leave it to our, our imagination is what lo- his love is. And in 1 John 4, 9 and 10, he says, John writes, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. And verse 10, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That word propitiation means God being satisfied through sacrifice for our sins, payment for our sins. And so in World War II, there's a story about uh, some Scottish captives by the Japanese. And... um, they were forced by their Japanese captors to labor on a jungle railroad. And the Scottish soldiers had degenerated to barbarous behavior. Not because they're Scottish, but just because of the circumstances. No insult to anybody who's Scottish. Uh, But one afternoon, something happened. A shovel was missing. The officer in charge became enraged. He demanded that the missing shovel be produced or else. When nobody in the squadron budged, the officer got his gun and threatened to kill them all on on the spot. It was obvious the officer meant what he had said, and then finally one man stepped forward. The officer put away his gun, picked up a shovel, and beat the man to death. When it was over, the survivors picked up the the bloody corpse and carried it with them to the second tool check. So they had a first tool check, found a shovel missing, go to a second tool check, and this time they found that there was, there, it was a mistake, that there really had not been a shovel missing. So it became obvious to, to the, the whole uh, troop that one man had laid down his life, had, had, uh, an innocent man had been willing to, sit, to die to save the others. The incident had a profound effect. The men began to treat each other like brothers. When the victorious allies swept in, the survivors who were emaciated and like human skeletons at this time, lined up in front of their captors. And instead of attacking their captors, they insisted, no more hatred, no more killing. Now what we need is forgiveness. So this kind of love is not just tolerance. God's kind of love, it is the most powerful force for change in the universe. And if this this could happen on that level, with God's sending of his son as sacrifice for our sins, how much more can that transform our lives? So now we'll look at verse 13 in, in uh, 1 John 4. And John writes, By this we know, by this we know, that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of the Spirit. By, and so by what do we know this, John? Where John had left off in verse 12, he had said, Because of God's love to us this way, we should love one another. So what John is saying is by the fact that we love one another, we know that God, that we abide in God and he abides in us. That is, God dwells with us, he dwells in us, and we dwell with him. We have a, a living connection with him because he has given us of the spirit. 
And we know that he has given us of a spirit because, he, because we love one another. So in other words, the Holy Spirit of God downloads the love of God for one another in us. And so that's how we know that uh, the Spirit of God dwells in us, is we love one another. So it's not optional in the Christian life to love one another. Another way is what we see in verse 13. Excuse me, verse 14. In verse 14, John writes, And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. So another way we know that God has given us of the Spirit is when we believe what the apostles The we in that verse is talking about the apostles testified about uh, Jesus. Jesus said when the Spirit came into the world, when he, he called him the Spirit of truth, he would bear witness about Jesus, and the apostles would bear witness to the truth about Jesus as well. So uh, that's what John's saying. The apostles saw. What did they see? They saw the Spirit descend upon Jesus in his baptism. They saw Jesus heal and cast out demons out of many people. They saw a preview of him in glory where he was transfigured before them on the mount, mountain. Uh, they saw him die. They saw him after he was raised for 40 days. They saw him ascend to heaven and they testify that God the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. So the two things the Spirit always does. The Spirit, when we have the Spirit of God in us, he always causes us to love other believers And he will always teach us the truth about who Christ is. He will never lead us astray into who Christ is. And Christ is the Savior of the world. But there's more to it. In verse 15, we see more of what John means in terms of what we believe about Christ, the truth that the Spirit testifies to. And the truth about Christ is, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So the one who confesses, that is, declares faith and trust that Jesus Christ is God's Son, gives evidence that God abides in him and he abides in God. That is, he has a living connection with God by his Spirit, as he said in verse 13. Of course, this is true because God knows Jesus' Son. He knows his own Son. And so if God abides in you, you will know what God knows about his Son. You will know that he is the Son of God and he's a Savior. So having a living connection to God through Jesus means you abide in his love because you will recognize that the Son of God is the greatest love gift that God has given. That's what he talks about in verse 16. In verse 16, he says, So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. The second time John has said that, so I think we get it. God is love. God is not just loving. God himself is love. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. So if you know and trust in Jesus as the Son of God sent as Savior, that's Jesus Christ. Christ means he's the Son of God sent as Savior. You've come to know and believe the love God has for us. Apart from faith in Jesus, you won't understand or receive God's love. You will not get God's love apart from Jesus. So there's two ways, at least, that you would mistake the love of Christ, that you wouldn't get it. Uh, on the one hand, you, may, you won't believe that God could really love you because your, your track record is too bad. You have too much guilt and shame, too many failures. Those who think this way don't 
trust in Jesus as having paid the price for their sins in his death and gotten victory over their sins by his resurrection. They miss how great the Father's love is and how powerful uh, in giving his Son to rescue us from our sins. So, for example, during the 17th century, Oliver Cromwell, Lord Protector of England, we don't have Lord Protectors anymore. Man, we should have a Lord Protector. We do. Jesus is the, Jesus is the guy. I, I, I hope somebody would get that. Way to go, Debbie. Um, Oliver Cromwell, then the Lord Protector of England, back in the 1600s, sentenced a soldier to be shot for his crimes. The execution was to take place at the ringing of, of an evening curfew bell. However, they pulled and pulled on the rope, and the, and the bell didn't ring. So what's going on with that? The soldier's fiancé had climbed into the belfry. That's the place they have a bell, where there are often bats, I guess, and clung to the great clapper of the bell to prevent it from striking. When she was summoned by Cromwell to account for her actions, she wept as she showed him, him her bruised and bleeding hands. Cromwell's heart was touched, and he said, Your lover shall live because of your sacrifice. The bell for his execution shall not ring tonight. So the willingness to suffer in sacrifice is the measure of redemptive love. So if you think God can't forgive you, God can't possibly love you because your track record is too messed up, you just don't get the love of God in Christ. On the other hand, you can cheapen the love of God and say it's no big deal, that God really doesn't care too much about how we live and what we do. You can see God's love as a kind of indulgence, as if he really doesn't care much about how we live or what we think. This view of God's love cheapens it. It doesn't value the great cost God paid to redeem you by pouring out his judgment for you, for your sins, on his Son. God's love, therefore, means very little to you. But those who know and believe, like it says here in the verse, have come to know and believe the love that God has for us in Christ, have received his love. They abide in his love. God is love, as he says. So whoever abides in love abides in God. That is, has a living relationship with God. And God abides in him. God created us to receive his love and share it with others. Sin broke our abiding in God and his love. In Christ, God repairs our broken connection with him and his love. But again, we must put our trust in Christ to receive God's love. We don't just get God's love apart from receiving Christ. Because how can you, if you don't trust Christ, if you don't trust him and what he's done to love us, how can you trust who you don't love? And how can you love who you don't trust? So this is the testimony that God gives us. His love is in Christ. And then in verse 17, John writes, By this love is perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in the world. Once again, by this, by what? By knowing and believing God's love for us in Christ, and because we abide in his love, by this, knowing and believing God's love, and and knowing that we abide in his love, his love is perfected with us. John means that as we abide in God's love, that as we steadfastly linger and dwell in God's love, we know we abide in him and he in us. And he says this abiding gives us confidence for the day of judgment. 
because by God's abiding in us through Christ by his Spirit, we are as Christ in the world. In other words, because as he is, so also are we in the world. We are in Christ's position in the world, pleasing to God, loved by God. We are loved by God every bit as much as he loved his Son because he put us in his Son, and we are as pleasing to God as his Son is. So that's how we experience God's love in this world. You say, well, I'm kind of hung up on this day of judgment. Is there really going to be a day of judgment? I thought that was like old-fashioned stuff. Doesn't doesn't apply anymore. Well, actually, the Bible is really, really clear that there will be one of those. There's coming a day. The Apostle Paul said at, the, at Mars Hill in, uh, around a bunch of pagans, God has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man who he has appointed, who he raised from the dead. So there's a day coming. God has appointed the day. And Jesus said the Father has com- given all judgment to the Son. So Jesus will be the judge in that day. So the only safe place to be is in the judge himself, Jesus the Son, Jesus the Son judge. The good news is the very one who will judge the world took our judgment upon himself. Faith in Jesus the Son is the only reason to have confidence for the day of judgment. And this was not just a legal transaction. He paid it off. It was an act of love. Again and again and again, we are told, This is the measure of God's love, that he sacrificed his son. His son took our judgment in our our place. That is how how God loves us. So we cannot doubt God's love for us. God's love is perfected, that is brought to fulfillment with us, in that we know that we have trusted in the son who took our judgment and that we are living in his love. To say his love is perfected in us, that's what it means. It means that we have come to the place where we recognize that in spite of who we are and what we've done, God loves us because of what he did for us in Christ. Which leads to what he says in verse 18. In verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So there is no fear of final judgment in love. That's what John's saying. No fear of God's punishment in love. But perfect love casts out fear of God's punishment. Perfect love drives out fear of condemnation. Perfect love doesn't mean we perfectly grasp God's love, much less that we perfectly love God. What he means is that God's love has been perfected in us in that we understand that his love for us is in Christ and that we will not ever, 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 ever be condemned if we're in Christ. We know and trust God's powerful and saving love for us. Nothing is able to separate us from God's love in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Nothing can kill or conquer God's love for us in Christ, so as to send us back into a state of condemnation before God. So whatever is happening in your life or my life, bad stuff happens. And if you are in Christ, that has nothing whatsoever to do with punishment. It may be discipline. It may be God putting you in a place where you need to trust him. But it's not punishment and it's not condemnation. It all, all comes to the grid of God's love. The one who fears God's punishment has not been perfected in God's love. That's what he says. If you have trusted in Christ to save you and you fear that God will punish you or is condemning you as if you are not his child... You need to ask yourself, ask yourself this question. Was the death of Christ 
and resurrection of Jesus, the Son of God, not payment enough and powerful enough to save me from the punishment I deserved? Was the death and resurrection of Christ, the Son of God, not payment enough or powerful enough to save me from the punishment I deserved? If you answer no, Christ's death and resurrection were not payment enough and powerful enough to save me, then you need to reread the New Testament because it's really clear that his death and resurrection were completely powerful enough and payment enough to save you. And if you really believe that, then eat, drink, and be merry because this is as good as it gets, right? Just party on. But that's not a good place to, to, to land. Or, if you believe it is powerful enough, the love of God in Christ is powerful enough to save us, and you're still struggling, then you need to pray like Paul writes in Ephesians 3. Paul said, pray this way. He prayed this way. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up with all the fullness of God that you may be, have strength to comprehend wow, I don't have the strength to comprehend the breadth and length and depth and height of the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge I'm just overwhelmed by that and so that's a good thing to be overwhelmed by but that's the work of the Holy Spirit is to continue to convince us again and again and again and to go more, more and more deeply into our hearts of the love of God for us in Christ. It is awesome. And it's more than we can grasp and we can never exhaust it. So if we have been perfected in God's love, we no longer fear his punishment but are assured of his love for us. So what impact does John say this assurance should have on our, on our lives? Do we say or think, I'll never be punished by God, yea me, I, I can do what I want? Well, what John says in verse 19 tells us how we are to respond to God's love. In verse 19, if you have trouble memory, memorizing verses, this is a good one to, to get. We love because he first loved us. Can we all say that together? We love because he first loved us. That's great. You are on your way to memorizing tons of scripture. A chunk at a time. God did not so love us that he sent a son to save us from judgment. We deserve only uh, to save us from judgment. For us to live for ourselves, he saved us and freed us to love others as he has loved us. If we have truly received the love of God in Christ for us, our hearts will begin to be transformed so as to love as he loved. We love because he first loved us. And it's as natural for God to do that, and it should be as natural for us to do it as a parent loves a child. You know, those little kids, they can't do anything for you. They're totally helpless when they're born, and they stay that way until they're 18. No, they, they get better. <laughs> and we just love them. We can't help ourselves. We just love them. And that's how we are to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. We love because God first loved us. His love has been downloaded into us through the Holy Spirit. So it comes out naturally. Although... We need lots of teaching to make it happen. We have texts like this that, that uh, over and over and over again tell us that truth. 
Because we have the love of God in us, the very nature of that love is that it is not merely a responsive love. That is, it's not controlled or dependent on the one that we love, their response, how they deserve it. It's an initiative-taking love. It's a love that seeks to do good for others, and in a fallen world, doing good for others often means doing it for people who don't deserve it or who can't repay, and that's God's kind of love. He says more about this in verse 20. Well, before we go there, stick with verse 19, I think. John said the highest expression of love is how God loved us in Christ. We saw that last week. You're seeing it again now. So if this is God's ultimate expression of his love for a lost world, the most loving thing we can do for those outside of Christ, the most loving thing we can do for those who haven't received his saving grace, is to do what we can to lead them to faith in Christ. We need to remind ourselves that every single person outside of Christ will spend eternity under God's judgment. That's what the Bible says. Outside of Christ, there is only eternal, eternal judgment. And so the most loving thing we can do for anybody who doesn't have that eternity settled in Christ is to, to help lead them to Christ. And so we can do that by praying for, for lost people. By the way, if, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, uh, don't be offended that we talk this way because all of us, by nature, are lost and it's only because Christ graciously drew us to himself that we would even talk this way. So if you're, if you're outside of Christ and, and we, we refer to that as being lost, you're lost outside of his love, his saving grace. Uh, he is really, really eager to find you. And he, he knows exactly where you are. He knows exactly what you need. And he wants you to have this life that will last forever and not come under his judgment forever. So we need to be praying for lost people. Hopefully we all know at least one person who needs to be saved that we can pray for. Probably several of us have several people that we could be praying for. Pray that you would be loving and wise in your conduct and speech, that your speech would be gracious, seasoned with the salt of goodness and truth. Pray that God would open their hearts to the light of the gospel of Christ, whether that be directly through you or through others. You know, the gospel is good news, that is, God saves sinners who trust in Jesus. That only makes light and sense of the bad news. You are a sinner. The bad news may feel unloving. But as we are patient, kind, gentle, doing good for them, like, like Dan was talking about, you know, just the, the posture that we present the gospel, the posture that we present to people, shows the love and patience of Christ toward them, shows his, his heart for them. Uh, that can go a long way toward at least making the bad news show that that's being communicated in love. We, we know that it's God's kindness that leads to repentance. It's not haranguing people, beating them over the head. And we know that ultimately only God can grant the repentance that leads to eternal life. Only God can really change their hearts. We communicate his word in love, and he changes hearts. Remember we said that love is the most powerful force in the universe to change people. Although we are to show love to those outside the community of believers in Christ, John repeatedly presents loving our brothers and sisters in Christ as evidence of whether we have true life in Christ. Now, that takes us to verse 20, where John says, 
If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. So once again, John, the apostle of love, doesn't pull any punches in stating his point in the most stark, absolute terms. He says, if you say, I love God and hate your brother, your Christian brother and sister, you are a liar and your pants are so on fire. (laughs) Feel the heat. Well, some of us may be saying, well, no problem on my end. I don't hate anyone. I may get a little bit irritated. People bug me sometimes. But, you know, I don't really hate people. And we need to understand what God is saying, what John is saying here. John's saying the word hate covers a lot of ground. The word hate simply means not to love. Because that's what he says. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother... So not loving is anything from not helping them in a time of need all the way up to murder, as he talked about in John chapter 3. So hating goes, covers a big gamut. Not loving. So not loving can include things like gossiping about your brother and sister in Christ, looking for the worst in them, not forgiving them, not seeking reconciliation when there's been a division, trying to lead him into sin, discouraging him in devotion to Christ, treating him with sinful anger, and those are just a few ways that we cannot love people or hate them who are our brothers and sisters in Christ. Where he says, For who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has seen. You can profess to love God even when you don't love your brother in Christ, but you cannot love God if you don't love your brother. The two are absolutely connected. God says it's not an option to divide these. You love God, you love his people. No matter how weird we are, we love one another. So if you claim to love God but don't have loving fellowship with other followers of Christ, your claim is invalid. That's what he says. In verse 21, This commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Do you love God? If you do, then you'll keep his commandments. Keeping his commandments is not the way to earn God's love. It's not the way that you gain eternal life. Eternal life can only be received as a free gift. But if you have eternal life, you will love God and keep his commandments. Keeping God's commandments is God's love language. And here's a commandment that we have from God. Anyone who says he loves God must love his brother in Christ. You cannot reject or neglect loving God's children. So, thank God for those in your life who are easier to love. That is, it's easier to share love and it's more enjoyable to love when people love you back and they love you if you're Christians and, and they love you in Christ and they have that Christ growth going on in their lives. That's, those are easier situations. Uh, the harder situations are those who are not like Christ and those who are making it really rough to love them. So you pray for them and pray for your own heart to love them like God does. Seek God's help for your love challenges. You know their names, right? You got a name in mind for your... Who's your biggest love challenge? 
All right, that's the person you need to be praying for and praying for your own heart. I think with that, we will close our time. For, and I'll pray for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for loving us. It just seems too weak to say it that way. But we know it was very costly giving the life of your son for our lives. Making him who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might become your righteousness in him. What massive kind of love is that? Father, we know that your love has transformed our lives. We know that it's not because of how much potential you saw in us that you chose to love us. It was because of Christ, that in him you planned to set your love upon us. We absolutely did not deserve it, and we had no potential other than for judgment. Hard words to hear that, Father, but it tells us how massive your love was, that when we did not deserve your love, you so freely and sacrificially gave it to us through the sacrifice of the Son of God. And yet, you gave your very best, one who is guaranteed to successfully rescue us from judgment and give us the gift of eternal life. Oh, Father, I thank you for the people you've given us in our lives to love. I thank you, Father, that we uh, have to love one another in obedience to you. I thank you we get to love one another. And I do pray, Father, for those love challenges in our lives. Probably most of us, would, if we thought about it, would realize the biggest challenge is us, how we struggle so to love well. And then, Father, I pray for anybody here who has not yet received the love that you were so eager for them to have in Christ. I pray that nobody would leave here this day without receiving Jesus Christ, who you sent into the world, as the greatest lover ever to redeem and rescue us from our sins and give us his life and your love. Receive, them by, receive him by faith. Thank you, Father, that you gave us such a wonderful Savior in Jesus. Thank you for your great and awesome love for us.